Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Thursday, October 26th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for 19 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you choose to do that, before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process and it contains a copy of the drag on cling on game which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences and we hope people do all of that soon and often primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives and secondarily, because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials, if you have any of those to share with us, please do so. Give us a call at 563-999-3581 and press 1 on your phone or send us an email. You can email me at tjh at mindshiftersacademy.org, mindshiftersacademy.org. 
Or you can email Jeannie at J-E-A-N-I-E at whyagain.org. That's W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N dot O-R-G. If we get those comments or questions from you, we'll address them on the Internet show. And then, as time allows, send you a notification about what day and time that occurred so you can listen back to the archives for your feedback. And we greatly appreciate whenever anybody does that, whether they're calling or emailing a question or a comment, because it just makes it that much easier for us to live into our intention with this work, and the intention with this work is to be of service. So please let us know how can we be of service. What would be of most benefit to you? How is it landing as we are reading different things and discussing different things and talking about What's come up in the support groups? Today is Thursday, so there will be another support group tonight. If you have any interest in joining us, all the information you need to join us absolutely free is available on the mindshiftersacademy.org website. And there's a separate info page for Tuesdays and a separate one for Thursdays. And... um, it is free, even though some some of the notices on the web page may say, you know, $10 to, to attend. But we quit doing requiring that uh, at the time of coronavirus restrictions. And so, um, and we never turned anybody away for want of money. But now all the information you need is right there without having to pay any money. It's right there on the web page. Go to your Zoom, open a Zoom window, and type in that. Login information, and you'll be able to join us, and/or pass the information along to somebody you think might benefit. We would be appreciative if you would do that. So, <clears throat> we have plenty of time for comments and questions, answers and testimonials. I had the um, had the occasion to listen to the one of the "We Can Do Hard Things" podcasts. I don't believe it's the most recent one. I think it's um, episode um, 252, probably. I'm going to pull that up for sure. Yes, episode 252 is titled, Martha Beck Helps Amanda Let Go. And when I got to the end of that episode, I was absolutely struck by how similar some of the messages were that we were trying to talk about with Susan Bingham yesterday about the value of doing my own work and the thoughts or concerns I might have that that's selfish or the hope that if I do my own work it's going to benefit someone else and Martha Beck was talking about this beautifully, succinctly. I can't help somebody else if my life is a wreck. I might do something that's of somewhat of benefit, but if I'm in self-loathing, if I'm in depression, if I'm in strong uh, feelings of personal inadequacy, whatever I do carries that energetic vibration with it. And so um, if I'm in the the bliss state, you might say, that comes from this uh, being in the 
direct conscious awareness of my true nature, that is going to radiate out through whatever I do and benefit the people around me. Michael Rice has it woven into, written right into his um, reality management worksheet. He says, when I choose love, it stirs the love in everyone involved. Well, it doesn't even need to say involved because it stirs the love anywhere. We're all connected. It is this quantum soup. It is the quantum potential. It is Indra's web. It is the realization that we're all connected in one mind and one consciousness. So um, the other aspect of that um podcast is that it's a very good working example of um, the internal family systems parts work. Dr. Beck actually, Martha Beck actually um, does uh, an internal family systems session with Amanda, um, Glenn and Doyle's sister. And it is most instructive. It has some good little techniques that anybody could use. And um, and as I say, I was really struck how at the end of it, it was almost exactly the same message we were trying to convey with Susan in the show at the end of the show yesterday, that what I do that is of true benefit to me benefits everyone. It It is not possible that I do something that is of true benefit to me and have it be hurtful to anybody else. Now, yeah, I can I can make up a, a set of beliefs that it's of benefit to me to collect as many golden coins as I can and hoard them. And in, in so doing, I decide I need to, you know, be dishonest and... Uh, run a scam and cheat other people out of their golden coins, but that's not truly in my benefit. That's only to my benefit for through a very narrow window. It doesn't benefit my soul. It doesn't benefit my spirit. It doesn't truly benefit my mood long term. So the statement that I'm making is anything that truly benefits me will also benefit everyone I know, everyone I love, and everyone in existence. The idea of um, the... um, Michael likes to talk about a little leavening leavens the whole loaf, and that's a reference to the concept of critical mass in physics and the idea that I don't really need to convert everyone to meditating. Every time somebody meditates, it benefits them and everybody they know. And it used to be said that um, if just 1% of the people meditated for 20 minutes twice a day, it would change the consciousness of the planet. It's that kind of thing. We get to the point 
where en- enough people are doing it. It doesn't have to be 60, 70, 80, 90% of the people. It's probably closer to a small percentage of the people living from the direct awareness of their true nature as love will affect change on the planet. So the the other really important message that comes through all of these deep spiritual teachings is I can't fix anybody else. I can't heal anybody else. The message that came from the way of mastery about Yeshua is Yeshua didn't heal anybody. Yeshua held the awareness of their true nature. His true nature, the same as their true nature, in the presence of people who were experiencing trauma and illness. And as he held on to that, and he did what Way of Mastery calls the out-picturing of that, when people bought into it, accepted that that was their true nature, and changed their view of themselves, healing would happen. So uh, it is it is a uh, deep truth that runs through most of the deep spiritual teachings that I have found useful, and that is nobody heals anybody else. The healing happens from inside the individual. And anybody who's truly a healer simply facilitates energetic shifts and it's the system itself that does the correction it's life itself that wants to live and thrive and be healthy and if it's given enough of what it needs it heals it gets stronger it does self-correction so that's why we encourage people to do their own self-correction do your own worksheets do your own breathing do your own uh, internal family systems work you know identify and then see through the false beliefs you might have downloaded from one traumatic situation or another in your life and as you see through those false beliefs that you've downloaded and some part of you may be holding on to correction happens so again if I'm if I'm able to spend more time in my direct conscious awareness of my true nature, that will amplify and radiate out of me that true nature more emphatically, more powerfully. And that is the most loving, healing, helpful thing I think I can ever do. So, 
Call in number is 563-999-3581. If you call that number and press 1, we can have a conversation. And I encourage you to do that. We're sitting here on a Thursday. There's a support group tonight. We have a number of people who are on the call who haven't raised their hands in a while, some maybe never. Let us know what you're thinking. How how has the the reading of the Choose Again book by Diedrich Wolzak landed for you? How has the processing that Magda did uh, last week landed for you? What is the reaction you have? I think I told the story of working with somebody recently who had what she thought was a really warm, loving set of emotions created by the fact that her partner changed some behaviors and she was bristling in um, disagreement as I highlighted for her the observation that what her partner did did not create her positive emotional state. And I I still get pushback on that, especially in active sessions, um, because people want to believe what they believe. And sometimes it takes a bit of a jaws of life crowbar to get people to let in uh, different conclusions or observations. Area code 610, Susan? Hi, Dr. Tim. I waited a little while to press one. You said a lot of people are on the call, and, you know, I thought maybe somebody would put their hand up instead of me, who's always putting my hand up often and always have questions. I do have several questions about different things. One of them is the Michael Singer podcast you recommended a few days ago. I listened to it two days ago and then, or yesterday, and early this morning I listened to the whole second half again. Got a tremendous amount out of it. What I noticed, though, is that he says we should ask ourselves, why am I not okay? And I just think Michael Rice would probably say that's not a very good way to put that. Um, and that, it doesn't matter. Well, but I just think about okay, how, but, how but, can I... But listen, listen to what he's asking us there. Yeah. He's asking us to acknowledge that our true nature is perfectly okay yeah and what is it that we're doing with our mind energy that keeps us from seeing that okay okay that's true keeping that in mind would correct the other thing well (sighs) if i'm if i'm looking at it that way i'm starting with the observation that my true nature is whole and complete and there's nothing of value that can be added unto me and nothing of value that can be taken from me, true value in this deepest spiritual sense. Yeah, people can take away my physical you know, health or my finances or uh, my car, etc., but that's not of true value, my, my true value, the essence of consciousness, etc. So if I tap into that and I say, look, I'm whole and complete just as I am. Mm, and and nothing of value can be added unto me or taken away from me. 
then, wow, how come I'm not feeling whole and complete in this moment? What am I doing to mm-hmm. grab onto certain things or push away other things? What am I doing with my old trauma energies or false beliefs that blocks me from sitting here in the awareness of my complete okayness, my mm-hmm. total health and safety? And that's when I start to discover what I'm holding on to or creating that's false, and then it's what I need to let go of. I need to soften and relax and let go of. Good. And in the Michael Singer work, that's all I need to do. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you draw the Michael. equation between that and canceling a goal, the softening and relaxing, you draw that equation yeah. to the canceling of the goal, it's essentially the same thing as Michael Rice's work. Right. So a related question is, and I don't know who said this, Michael or you, said something about not doing affirmations. Once again, I'm trying to figure it out. and trying to, you know, I realize I'm kind of nitpicking because I've been practicing <clears throat> these novenas for two grandsons, now my son, and some for me, based on 369 and that Tesla recommendation about how many times you say it and so forth. And um, these novenas feel to me like they're, they feel like affirmations and they're like reverse prayers. Thank you for having Charlie, be so well, have so many friends. Some of these things are already true. A couple of them aren't, but I'm wording it as if they have become true. Those things feel like affirmations. And I can't remember what the reason was why affirmations were not always such a good idea. I agreed at the time, though. I remember how it struck me. Yeah, that's true. Can you remember any of that? Yes. When Michael talks about affirmations, he warns against them. One of the phrases that he uses is premature positive thinking. Oh, I see. Yeah. Right. I I think I'm just going to sit here and talk about how I'm nothing but love and the world okay. is love and I'm safe and I'm whole and happy and everything is good is coming to me. and And I'm thinking that at one level. And at another mm-hmm. level, I'm terrified that I won't be able to meet the bills. And I'm working three or four jobs. And I'm racing around staying busier than anybody has any healthy reason to be. And I'm mm. shooting all over myself intensely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right? And then okay. I'm just reciting some affirmations a few times when I think about it, maybe six times a day. Yeah. But What's happening the other, you know, the rest of my 24 hours or my, let's say I've got 16 hours of conscious time, what is happening with my mind energy Mm. and what is the emotional loading that is so powerful in that mind energy during that time? That's why Michael Rice says the affirmations are, you know, sometimes a trap for people because they think all I have to do is sit here and affirm the positive and I don't have to go look at the negative. Now, he would quote something from 
the Course in Miracles that says, you may wonder why you need to look upon your deepest hatred. Mm-hmm. Because if it's in there and some part of you still believes it and is holding on to it as a truth, that is what's going to drive your perception. Mm. And so it isn't enough to just, it's like the the quote from C.G. Young where he says, enlightenment doesn't come by sitting around envisioning images of light. Mm. You remember that quote from C.G. Young? No, I don't. Michael, Michael, Michael says it on a regular basis, right? He says, you've got to bring the darkness to the light. You've got to acknowledge these false beliefs that are in you. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's not enough to just imagine lightness and brightness. So connecting these novena prayers is, I mean, I can see where in between my saying them, I might be holding on to fears and uh, about how not okay the people I'm saying the novenas are for are, and this is yeah, it's a good yeah. lesson to come and, back to. And so and so say the novenas and mm-hmm. do the worksheets around any fear that they may not be yeah. okay. Right. I have a a little testimonial. Um, my sister Jo has always been under Tim's and my, Tim Bingham's in my care because early on she applied for disability and doesn't do very much to take care of herself and she's in terrible health and she fainted in the grocery store the other day and was taken to the emergency room and her diagnosis was deconditioned, which means she just hasn't been doing anything. So she's lost all her muscle shape, muscle uh, integrity, strength. She can hardly step up one step without having to struggle. She's my my baby sister. She's no baby now, but I have held tremendous anger at her for not grabbing hold and getting better and living the best life because she's hugely talented, very bright, and yet has somehow on some level been unwilling or unable or both to live the life that even she would have liked to live. And she has made excuses all the way along the line about how this or that isn't possible. And now here I am with a fellow living with us who does the exact same thing. And what a challenge. I'm really, I have felt not up for that challenge. I don't think I have the wherewithal. And yet I had a kind of miracle with my sister yesterday. She came over because she was in the area, was huffing and puffing because she has trouble breathing. And she sat down at the piano bench and said, show me what these black keys and white keys are about. I want to understand about scales. Now, she used to play the violin, so I'm not sure where and when she lost her knowledge about all that. But I started showing her scales, and then she started humming a piece that's the theme song for Schindler's List, which is absolutely gorgeous beyond gorgeous and heartrending, and she has great pitch. She was humming it absolutely accurately, and it's not an easy melody. 
And all of a sudden, I felt my heart just open up to her, and I felt love for her that I haven't felt in such a long time. And then that led to a discussion. She said, you know, Sue, I've just wasted my life. I've totally wasted my life, and it's really too late to do anything about it, and I've been dependent on you and Tim all these years. I feel so badly about it. And I said to her, Joe, you had a harder beginning than I did, and I saw what was happening, and I wasn't your friend. I had to align or chose to align with my mother to stay safe. You were the bad one. I was a good one often. I made sure I looked good and did the right things, and I got a lot of support for that. You didn't, you weren't able to choose that for whatever reason, and you ended up so hurt that I think you haven't been able to find your way to doing any better than you're doing, and it's not your fault. And she said, you really think that? You know, she was just amazed. And I said, stop beating yourself up. Ever hear that before, <laughs> Tim, Dr. Tim? I don't know and where I might stop, have heard that. You know, stop beating yourself. I felt so much love for her and so touched by the fact that she was sitting on this piano bench singing to me, showing me something beautiful that she loves in her life. And then she was talking about how Daddy used to love to listen to the Franck D minor symphony and a few other favorites, and she listens to them. She's living in that music and finding meaning and value in it. It was just, and I really think it's partly because of the tools that I found my way to feel that way about her. And it it was just a, it doesn't sound like much probably, but it was a real breakthrough. And sounds, I'm hoping it'll... It sounds still... huge. It sounds huge. And you want to take, and I think it's not just partly because of the tools, I think it's almost exclusively because of the tools and your willingness to mm-hmm. use them. And mm-hmm. I would say you want to take it to the next level, do some work to dismantle that incredible anger to look at what was underneath the anger because we, we, we know in this work anger is always a secondary emotion, Michael Rice. Mm-hmm. And I, I started mentioning it, and now he's mentioning it again. <clears throat> it's just a drug. It's not even an emotion. Yeah. Well, I use it to cover up other emotions that are distasteful or I think are too much for me. So when you yeah. say I have this incredible anger, you can take your work to the next level by trying to figure out, okay, so is it pain, fear, or sadness that's underneath the anger I generate Mm. when I think about my sister? And let me put those on some worksheets and let's, let's dismantle some of those underlying pains, fears, or sadnesses that must be there, otherwise I wouldn't step into generating anger. To numb myself out from it. Oh, uh, it is a numbing out. Oh, that's a good way to put it. Thanks. And it spills over to Michael, who is. Every once in a while, I get a bee in my bonnet, and I call various social services places to find out whether there is affordable housing around here, how they could assist him with. Uh, the choices he's making and so on, and then I email him and say, I have three numbers you can call. This is their names, and 
let me know what you get. And he writes back, invariably, I can't have an apartment except on a first floor and none are available. I can't carry my musical equipment up and down the stairs because of my back and because of the dog. Uh, I need a van, but I can't get a van because I don't have any gigs. And I don't have any gigs because I don't have a van. And so we go around and I, I had the presence of mind to say, why don't you get the gigs and we'll find a way to get you there. Let's start with the gigs because those are the things that are going to get you moving. And so that's sort of the way the discussions are going. But I'm aware of this incredible frustration and tightness in my chest. I am not a well person. And you were just talking about how well we need to be to to be well enough to have any good effect on other people. So even though externally I'm doing these things, I'm not clear and I've done lots of wake-up sheets, and I get clear, and then it comes right back in. So, And this relates to my sister, and I'm hoping somehow the thing with my sister will open the way to not being... So with Michael, I'm afraid for him. Our names are now three down from the top on this waiting list for um, you know, assisted living or whatever we're heading for, and I don't know when we'd be going, but it could be fairly soon. And where are we going to put him? What are we going to do? He has nothing. He would be out on the street with a whole pile of equipment, so much stuff that it wouldn't even fit in a van. And and yet there's this terror on his part, which results in numbing and passivity and doing nothing. I'm really loading all, <laughs> loading all this onto you, but it's all related to this. Well, so so let's what? just come back to one of the most poignant things. What are the most poignant things in our lives, right? Our early childhood memories, our relationships with our family of origin, et cetera. These are some mm-hmm. of the most powerful things because they're some of the most formative. What, is, what does Diedrich Wolzak talk about? What happened in the last decade of your life? No in the first decade of your life. So when you have an emotion come up today, ask yourself, when's one of the first times I experienced it? So why? Because these are formative years. This is Mm -hmm. woven deep into our sense of who we are, our psyche, our sense of safety, our beliefs about ourselves and the world, etc. So let's look at this. You said I generate this incredible anger around thoughts that I generate around my sister and what she's done with her life etc etc and we know that the anger is a secondary at best it's a secondary emotion if you listen to dr michael rice it's not even an emotion anymore he's got it categorized as a drug okay Mm -hmm. so what am i trying to numb out from what is the pain the fear or the sadness that's underneath the anger I generate when I think thoughts about my sister and start doing your work around that, Mm -hmm. chances are really, really good. You're going to start to see parallels between those critical beliefs, core beliefs you downloaded around your family of origin, mom, dad, sister, etc., and anybody in your life today. Mm -hmm. 
And once you start seeing it and see the false nature of it, it loses its power over you. Just I just had a session with somebody. Pardon me? Just seeing those will help. It's not solving it, it anything. It's just, yeah, okay. But, but it, 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 it does help because, well, it does help because it, it can only drive my behavior as long as it stays unconscious. So I just mm-hmm. had a session with somebody. It's only about their sixth or seventh session. Very bright woman, mature woman. And I think I've mentioned this the past couple of days on the Internet show. At this stage in my career, I'm blessed to have a number of people in my caseload that are just very bright intellectually. Mm-hmm. That's just the way it goes, right? It's just, just the luck mm-hmm. of the draw this time in my life. And... When these people who are so really bright intellectually, when they have an emotional issue, they are really stuck because Mm -hmm. they keep employing what David Bohm would call sustained incoherence. Mm -hmm. And they try to figure it out. They try to use their intellectual mind to come up with conscious, logical answers to the emotional distress that they are experiencing. And that's exactly what David Bohm has coined the term for. The term is sustained incoherence. So we started talking about it. And she said, well, I've got this pattern where I freeze up and don't hold good boundaries in front of powerful women. I'm very mm. bright. I hold good boundaries in other areas of my life, et cetera, et cetera. And so she goes, and I just can't figure this out. She may not have used that exact phrase, but that's what she was doing. She was trying to think her way into mm. a solution so that she could stop having poor boundaries with these bright women, these powerful, strong, bright women. And I started talking to her about how nothing she does at an intellectual level is going to be a solution. She goes, well, what do you mean? Mm -hmm. I told her the story of about, it's almost five years ago now. I had a situation with somebody, and I, I was generating a lot of upset because I wanted this person to admit what they had said and done. And they kept denying what they'd said and done. But... I kept saying, but it's it's on the recording. It's right there. There's no denying it. And they they wouldn't admit it. Mm. So then in the middle of the night, like 3 in the morning, I woke up one more time with these thoughts and this upset. And so I started doing worksheets on the app. Mm. And at one point, my my you know, the goal was I just want this person to tell the truth and admit it, right? Admit the truth. Mm-hmm. Right. And I flashed on this situation that happened 50 years or more earlier in my life where my my dad caught me dead to rights, lying about something, and I wouldn't admit it. Mm. And so then I started doing worksheets about that situation when I was 14 years old. Eventually, I, I canceled the goal to have my dad believe me or whatever it was that, that my 14-year-old self, and I flashed on an aspect of that memory 
Now, for 50-some years, I've had this memory, but I never, never connected it with this deep emotional truth that I downloaded and then hidden from myself at age 14. Once, that, and for 50-some years, every time this memory came up, I would flinch and shudder and hide it away. And never, I never told the truth to my mom, to my dad, to my brother, my sisters, any of my people in, in therapy. I never told the truth about that. But here I am, 3.34 in the morning, doing enough worksheets where I tapped into that emotional belief, that emotional truth for the 14-year-old. And the sobbing, crying happened. I was laying there. I remember the tears dripping into my ears. I literally had yeah. to get out of bed and use a Q-tip to get the water out of my ears. And, and, and then it was gone. And the very mm. next day on the Internet show, I told the story with the whole truth that I'd been hiding and shuddering in shame from for 50-some years without any stress. Wow. It's not logical. Mm. The logical mm. part of my mind could see X, Y, and Z, this had happened, that had happened, but it never touched that part of my mind that was hiding this deeply emotional true knowing. What was the true knowing? I had done something that was going to cost my family their new house. We were going to be out on the streets living as bums. That's what I downloaded at 14 years old. There was no truth in it, but it felt absolutely true. And I downloaded it and then hid it from myself. Some 50 years later, with awareness of the use of the tools, with somebody standing right in front of me lying to my face and refusing to admit the truth even though it's recorded and you can listen to it for yourself, it took that resonance of that similar energy and my knowing the tools and my willingness to do enough worksheets that I finally got access to that false belief I had downloaded and then hidden away from myself. So here's this 14-year-old part of my mind that thinks, I cost my family our new home. But my parents lived in that home. I grew up in that home. They, they owned it for over 35 years. But the truth of that, the logic of that, could not access or have any impact on that false belief, that emotionally held implicit knowing it's a false knowing. It seemed really, really true at the time. But then when I locked it away from myself in my unconscious, nothing about the truth of life was able to have any impact on it. Nothing yeah. about thinking, oh, it's all okay, and oh, we live there. None of that truth could change until I was willing to see and feel and cry through the implicitly held emotional truth, the knowing that was in my body that had me shutting down so much in terror when I was 14. And it would be that same terror that would rise up and keep me from sharing that story or the truth of that story with anybody for 50-some years. Wow. But once I saw the truth of it at that deeper emotional level and was willing to feel it, 
it lost all power over me. And as I say, the very next day, Internet show comes on, hey, guys, listen to the worksheet I did. Listen to the truth. And, you know, I'm the one, I actually lied about this when I was 14. And no resistance, no fear, no shame. You must have believed that something about yourself that was absolutely unacceptable because you had said that lie, because the lie itself doesn't sound like such a big deal. Well, but the lie wasn't such a big deal. But what I had convinced myself was the impact of it, that we were going to lose our new family home, that made me evil incarnate. That was too much to to tolerate. Okay. Right, that you're evil incarnate. Wow, that's so Oh, yeah, that I, that. I had just lost our family, their new home. Mm-hmm. Is it logical? No. Did I feel it was absolutely true? Yes. So much so that I held on to it and the shame around it for over 50 years. Whoa. And that's essentially what we do. Right. Look at the Diedrich mm-hmm. Wolzak work. I could have done. I could have yeah. gotten to the same thing with it, with enough willingness and enough repetitions with the Diedrich Wolzak worksheet. Yeah. It was one of the earliest times I felt this kind of shame. I could have gone back and I could have flashed on that 14-year-old situation. I could have asked myself, okay, what did you make this mean? And eventually I would have come on, I made this mean. I just lost our family at their new home. Oh. And then the truth of it would be able to help me dismantle that belief because now it's seeing the light of day. Because we didn't lose the home, because I I was raised in that home. I have a question for you about all that, though. You come back to, I would have caused my parents to lose their home, and you only mentioned once that that meant you're evil incarnate. But isn't that where the real pain is or fear is that you are totally hopelessly bad okay i i don't know what the truth of it is all i know is as soon as i had that realization and i cried through the tears i felt so differently that there was no resistance to sharing the story so you know it it this is the thing about it We, we keep saying look you're not going to figure this out. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what it is that got that, that locked down for me was unique to me and not something that you'll think your way through. Good, now, I get this it. Happened, it doesn't right? really This matter. happened yeah. at a certain time in my life. There had been a couple other things prior to that where I had downloaded a belief that I was bad and damaged and evil, etc. Mm-hmm. So... Maybe those were just getting resonated, and maybe when I cleared this out and that was no longer getting resonated, that that healed too. I don't know. But you're basically saying it doesn't matter. I'm trying to think again. You got the result. You yeah. got the breakthrough and exactly. the release. Okay, exactly. got it. Good. Yeah, it is just, 
It is beyond what I can think of intellectually. And yeah. you know, I'm I have a certain amount of I am I am just slightly above average in intelligence, right? The way it would be measured. <laughs> no way. <laughs> no, 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 You're listen, listen. To me. This short. is not a no, this is not a joke, and I'm not telling, selling myself short. Listen to this. Just this past weekend, I was doing some of the work on um, old files and things, and I, I shared some of the letters, right? But also in that work, there are my high school um, records. Mm-hmm. And when I graduated high school, there were 360-some kids in the class, and I was ranked 150-something, right in the middle. Mm-hmm. When I took the um, test to get into college, I was just at average, slightly above average for kids who want to go to college. right? And when I took the graduate record exam after college to try and get into graduate school, I was just a few points above the average. And it was, I just felt, you know, like, well, I shouldn't even go to graduate school until somebody pointed out to me, wait a minute, you scored average for the people who take this test. The people who take this mm-hmm. test are the people that want to go to graduate school. Mm-hmm. So you're right there in the average range for people who apply to graduate schools. So don't sell yourself short. Mm-hmm. So... When you look at all of that testing, when you look at the grades I got and the assessment tests, the fact that I went on and got a doctorate would put me in the, to fit the definition of an overachiever. Yeah, that's bullshit. Right? Okay, yeah. No, 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 no. It's just the, the definition, right? Because most yeah. of the people who are right there on the median, on the middle of these tests they don't go on for masters and doctorates it's the people who are driven somehow who have that kind of you know a sense of life purpose or kind of a passion for whatever that go on and do that and it's i struggled mightily to get my doctorate it took me nine and three quarters years it wasn't a breeze so it all makes sense right but the point is it works to say I have above-average intelligence, and nothing in that above-average intelligence is going to help me resolve these emotional issues. I've got to be willing to use tools. I've got to be willing to put the conscious, logical mind on the shelf and ask to be shown. That's the point of that. It doesn't matter that I'm above-average intelligence. That's not helping me unload the baggage of my traumas. I understand, and I know where you're going with that. I want to back up a little bit and just say they've done a lot of research on things like emotional intelligence, which are not measurable. And I have a son who was diagnosed dyslexic, had trouble reading, thought he was a loser, and he just he went right through to become one of the most, probably the best surgeon in his hospital and a wonderful way with people, too. But all of that isn't measurable with those tests. And he got sort of shredded by constantly hearing that his teacher told him, too, you're overachieving, (laughs) which doesn't make any sense. How can you 
do better than you can do. So, anyway, your point is made, but... Well, the the point extends out, too. I might have been way above average in, in my intelligence and been able to breeze through a doctorate and mm-hmm. get three or four doctorates if I want. None of that will help me resolve my emotional issues. That's right. the point we're making. I've got to quit trying mm-hmm. to figure it out. I have to hold what Michael Rice would call the cosmic grease of willingness, mm-hmm. and I have to continue to go round after round on these tools and just watch what happens and then work with what happens. Yeah. It's not a matter of, wow, you're so smart, you figured that out. It doesn't come from that part of my mind that can logically make these connections. It comes from putting that side, that part of my mind aside and softening and opening and saying, I really don't know, and I'm asking to be shown. And then if I do that enough times with actual action, my actions speak louder than my words to my the fearful part of my mind, and that fearful part of my mind opens up and lets me see what I've been hiding from myself. Mm-hmm. Well, the Michael Singer work invites us to step away from, feel fully, and then step away from things that are upsetting or painful, because that's not us. Those are the products of our mind. But he, as far as I know, he doesn't tell us to process those. So they could keep recurring and then we could keep stepping away and go back into some state of being all right and being blissful even. But we do need to do that work because those things do keep coming up. Okay. And in another way of looking at Michael Singer's work, he says over and over again, it takes practice. What's the practice? You have to practice letting go. Notice how similar the letting go is to the canceling the goal that you're holding on to. Okay. It's just the same. Now, what Michael Rice has in the way of the Reality Management Worksheet is this very specific tool that anybody who can read and understand the words can pick up and work with and get really, really good results, which is why... I've donated so much of my time for the past 19 years to these support groups and this Internet show because the value of the tool is rock solid. Mm-hmm. And it's more for, for many people who want something to hold on to more than just um, Michael Singer's let go and practice letting go, this is a specific step-by-step. Here's how you let go when this thought comes up. You identify that 
the goal that's associated with it, and you identify the emotion you're using to generate it, and you cancel it and ask to be shown. And you and you, Good. you shift the focus back to your true nature as love, and so it's just a little bit more, you know, step by step, and there's that power in that sequential step for a lot of us. So, you know, kind of satisfies that need to to ask, what what do I do about this? Well, the truth is you don't do anything about it except you let it go. You let go your goals about it. You let go your attachment to it. And you let the truth of life just flow. And then you start to ask, okay, now I'm in this truth of life and I'm part of this energy of creation expressing in form. What's mine to do here to be a blessing to myself and others? That's another way I can... I can work with this. Well, you just said what I was trying to say, and I did a better job. That was good. For me, I do need the tools as well as to hear. I I loved his talk, and I'm not critical of it. I loved it. But having that extra guidance or tools is good. Well, and again, we're just inviting people to step into the use of the tool and see what happens. Learn as you mm. go. And and when you sit here on this side of it and try to figure it out, you're just keeping your you're digging a bigger hole for yourself it's like trying to run in quicksand it's not a good idea right so when people start asking me questions about this stuff and can this happen and will that happen i say i have no idea it's just the only way i'll find out the only way you'll find out is if you step into the actual experience of it. And, you know, you might step into the actual experience of it and you might find, you know what, for me, that Michael Singer thing doesn't work at all. That Dr. Rice thing doesn't work at all. But this uh, Diedrich Wolzak thing works or the Byron Katie thing works or, you know, just my uh, deep yoga practice works. It's fine. All we're encouraging people to do is find what works for you. Mm-hmm. with the goal, ultimately, from this work to turn the focus inside yourself and find out what is your connection to a deeper wisdom. That's all. Yeah, pretty simple. <laughs> One, two, three, that's it. So there you have it. Again, mm. the uh, podcast that sparked this, that had so much of it that I mm. found so similar to um, our conversation near the end of our conversation, I think it was yesterday, is um, yeah. We Can Do Hard Things, episode number 252. And yep. um, when you're centered in love, when you're radiating that out, that's the most helpful, useful, healing thing you can do for anybody. So thank you again, Susan, for participating in the show and making it so valuable. I will mute you so you can listen into the second hour.
I will remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. And I'll welcome Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tim. You're very welcome and deserving. Have a wonderful show. Thanks. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of MindShifters Radio. Today is Thursday, October 26, 2023. And our call-in number is 563 563- Nine 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 three five eight one, and press one, and that puts you into queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and questions, because that makes this your show, and it definitely um, takes it in the direction of where we can support you. And that's what this show is about: supporting you. Excuse me, I have to cough here. So um, we'll give Michael just a moment to dial in, and then I'm actually going to, you know, I've told you before that I get something from Diedrich uh, called, uh, it's his daily quote on Choose Again, and then I also get from a couple other people. But today's on uh, Diedrich's, he quotes Mark Twain, when we remember we are all mad, the mysteries disappear and life stands explained. Daedric goes on to say, of course I am mad. I believe my thoughts, opinions, and judgments. I still believe that someone or something can bring me anything that I want or need. I still believe that being guilty, quote unquote, is an option. If that is not madness, then I don't know what is. When all of this fades, life does indeed stand explained. Then it is clear there is nothing to explain. I thought that was pretty awesome. Now, we finished up yesterday reading out of um, the article written for Robert Sapolsky uh, and on that we did not have free will. So we finished reading that article yesterday. If there was any conversation to be had around that subject or any other subject, please press 1 or send me an email at genie, J-E-A-N-I-E, at whyagain.org, and let me know. And then also, if there is another, if you have an article or a book or something that you would like to hear the perspective of that topic, just like uh, this one on Sapolsky was on not having free will, and we offered from our perspective what free will is, And so if you would like to hear our conversation around a subject that you questioned or that you want to know more about, that's what this show is about, to support you in doing that. And so I'll see, Michael should be dialing in any moment. And we would love to hear from you. So press 1 if you're on another station where we can't see you. 563-999-3581 and press 1. And let me see if Michael's having technical difficulties getting in. But we have plenty of time. We're 57 minutes left of the show, so if you have a question or a comment, please let us know. We would... Uh, I just got a text from our neighbor that they've caught coyotes on their camera, their backyard camera, for the last three nights. I thought that we had gotten rid of those things. 
but apparently they are back. Send a message out to everybody to watch their babies, their puppies, their kids, their cats. Coyotes are roaming to try to find food. So what can we talk about? What can we help you with? been writing on my book and I got what I thought was the last chapter complete and then I thought of a couple of other things that I needed to mention so I'm adding a couple more chapters to the book but hopefully I'll have it complete and ready to go to an editor and publisher very shortly and Michael has joined us and Michael I just read the daily quote from Diedrich and uh, he was quoting Mark Twain. When we remember we are all mad, the mysteries disappear, and life stands explained. And then says, yes. of course I am. He says, of course I'm mad. I still believe my thoughts and opinions and judgments. I still believe that someone or something can bring me anything that I want or need. I still believe that being, quote, unquote, guilty is an option. If that's not madness, I don't know what it is. And when all of this fades, then life does indeed stand explained. And then it is clear there is nothing to explain. And I ask people if well, they had something the they wanted right to talk about. Yeah. But we don't have any hands up, and there's no comments in the chat room. So where do we take the show today? We completed the article yesterday. Well, we completed it. Let's see if we're really truly complete with it, if anyone has any other thoughts. You know, we spent, what, four days on that article and uh, a lot of ins and outs, a lot of refinements, subtleties. And if there is, I'd like to complete that. If there are any questions, any thoughts, any any new input based on the article or the options or the thoughts that I offered on the articles in the context of this work, I'd love to hear from you. Push one. And if you're on one of those stations where we can't see you, if you call in on the uh, call-in line, then we can see you in our control room. And then if you just push one, that'll raise a hand, and we'll be able to have a conversation. So the calling number is 563-999-3581. Push one, we're having a conversation. Anyone have a thought, or can we leave that whole package of information behind now? All right. Well, I take it we're complete there. So... I had shared an article, and I want to thank Susan for her feedback and her input on the uh, the article that I'd written on what's going on in the Mideast. And uh, it's transformed partly, again, thank you, Susan, because of Susan's input to a, uh, a whole different thing. And the first, I think probably with the time we've got, uh, we might cover the first half of the article, which... Uh, the first half is about complete, although there have been several new ideas that have come in the last day or two. But we're looking to uh, deal with suffering. And so, do you want healing from your suffering? From repeated family patterns, from repeated hostility and fear. If your physiology is in pain or has diseases or dysfunctions, what does that say about you? Does it say you're a victim of disease? Well, victimhood's a great place to go if you don't want to be responsible and you want to be um, disconnected from the ability to change what's creating the issue. Then, you know, go for the victimhood. 
If your mind is spewing, especially at the most inopportune moments, I remember working with a woman who was very much into her religion, and and uh, she had done some of this work. And one day she said to me, she said, I, you know, we're processing a little bit. Like, I, I just don't know what's going on. I, you know, every once in a while, you know, I'm a good Christian woman, and I have Jesus, and I'm, you know, I mean, I, I got it together with him. But, you know, every once in a while, this rage just pops up inside of me, and I, I just, I don't know what to do with it. I said, well, it's a really simple answer. If rage pops up from inside of you, it's because it's inside of you. Oh, no, 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 I've got that all handled, but what's going on? And it was just no, there were no ears for, Yeshua said, you've got some work to do. And, and, and here's the work that needs to be done. The fact that it's showing up inside of you means it's inside of you. The fact that it's showing up in your mind, you, you can't. One of my favorite stories, Jeannie actually reminded me of it just yesterday. We were talking with Aria, and there's a cute little joke I like to tell to Aria, and she's, I, I've now told it to her so many times, she just rolls her eyes and puts her head out when I, when I tell it. But Jeannie shared that, um, that there's one of those jokes that I tell sometimes in the work that, that she feels the same way about. But I know that's not really true. She loves this joke, so I'm going to share it to start with. And it's a story about the little old lady. You have any comment there, Jeannie? No? Okay. Um, <laughs> little old lady who just loves movies. She's a little hard of hearing. She can't see very well. So she likes to get to the theater early and get the front row seat. Well, this new big film is coming out, and she leaves early, so she's sure to get her front row seat. And it turns out there's this whole just block up of traffic, she gets to the theater late. She gets the last seat in the very back of the theater. And there's this young couple in front of her. And, and throughout the whole film, you know, she's a little hard of hearing. And throughout the whole film, this couple's just laughing back and forth, laughing hysterically. And finally, little old lady jabs this girl on the shoulder. She says, young lady, are you feeling hysterical? And the girl kind of stutters from it, isn't sure what to say. She finally says, well, well he was feeling mine first. You can't feel anybody else's. If you're feeling it, it belongs to you. And and victimhood is an option if you want to continue with those buried experiences popping their heads up at the most inopportune times in your life. Shutting your breath down, holding your breath, speaking or thinking as though something outside of you is the cause of what's moving inside of you, that's a sure way to make sure you never heal that pattern and that it goes on and is passed from generation to generation. So this article is looking at some of the most traumatic events that people have happened in their lives and what you can do about it. Now, recognize that life is construction and delivery. Life source is nothing. And if you're going to flesh out the experience of life as an actual human being, that means that you're going to have to make space in your flesh for the active presence of love for your human life. So this article is focused on, it's actually going to be posted when I post it, along with a uh, an article that was written by a British writer in London who has interviewed a family who lives in London, an Israeli family who lives in London, 
and who has some family that was in the Middle East and was killed. And so these generational atrocities, sooner or later somebody's got to grow up. And instead of, well, see, we'll just kill the bad guys, which just gives rise to a whole new crop of bad guys when you understand how the world works. So I've read uh, this particular quote that I'm going to start with when I talked about this article a week or so ago, but it's a whole different animal now. So approximately 4,000 years ago, after much suffering, Job offered the world a deep, difficult, and rarely comprehended lesson in responsibility, how the world works, and creatorship. In one sentence, he explained the physics, the psychology, and the emotional dynamics of how repeated traumatic events and suffering are created. In Job 3.25, he said, For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. Now, I'm happy anywhere anybody wants to pop in, hit one, have a conversation about any point we're making here. Jeannie, if, if that happens, give me, you know, give me a, just a little sound signal, and then as soon as I finish the thought, I'm on all. I'll jump off. So. so that's, again, I'm going to repeat that from Job 3.25. For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. Now, that's a, when you unpack it, that's a huge piece of information. Let's look at it. When we have the eyes to see and the ears to hear and fully unpack Job's insight, we come to understand our part in causing the terrible events and repeating generational patterns in our lives. He plainly and emphatically tells us that the dreaded outcomes in our lives begin in our own minds, that fear and dread attached to a fantasized outcome set the blueprint for events that will be delivered by life. And that when we add one additional emotional amplifier, guilt, into the scenario, you have the perfect trifecta for victimhood and repeated trauma. The profound conclusion implicated in Job's deep experiential learning is the fact that the power to bring about results in our world lies in the mind entertaining a complex of negative thoughts and intensifying the energy of that complex with fear. This is one of the first indications of which I'm aware of a rudimentary understanding of the world of quantum physics. If one wishes to rid themselves of a feared, dreaded event, fighting against that result in the world is futile. For by simple resistive engagement in the energy, Energy is added to the cause which is within. One who knew said, resist not evil. As long as fear and dread are attached to a negative fantasy in the mind, the world must deliver on its promise. Ask and you will receive. Guarantee. Somehow the result will continue to arrive right on time as anticipated until the cause is removed. 
I offered that one of the main purposes of the rest of the books that accompany Job in a collection called the Bible are man's attempt to understand and resolve the dilemma Job presented. How? How does the blind application of fear to a clearly unwanted result bring about precisely the result in question again and again? And what can I do about it? Now, referring to the article that this is designed to be posted with, a family, many families, are wiped out again. As in this case, each says, and this is a quote from one of the family members who lost family members in the attack in Israel, we really don't understand why this is happening to us. A shocking event in Israel. An equally shocking change of thinking and understanding will be needed to bring us to sanity and resolution. Do not expect the answer to conform to your understanding of how the world works, especially if you think someone else is to blame. And if in bewilderment you've asked the question, why is this happening to me again? Recognize you are going to have to change some of the deepest dynamics at work in your own mind. And there's only one answer that will ever bring serenity and healing into reach. This Mideastern generational war as with virtually every cultural enemy, and family squabble in history has gone on too long. No one is born with hatred or enemies. Each is a learned, corrupted construct instilled within any mind that swims in the toxic mental environments of fear and or hostility. Eventually, until questioned, Living these aberrant states will become normal and true, just the way it is. And you remember that one of the keys in the forgiveness process is to look at the way you want it and the way your mind shows you it is. Anyone questioning what has become a cultural norm will be labeled traitor and lumped in with the enemy. This is an idea usually promoted by those who are profiting off of maintaining some particular group of enemies. Notice how often, as profit or other beneficial viability of one enemy fades, another is fabricated. Eisenhower warned us. Major General Smedley Butler, the most decorated Marine of his day, way back in 1935, wrote in detail about it. And Jeannie, I'll send you the link so you can put in the notes. In, in the article, there will be a, uh, a link to a free download of his book, War is a Racket. Here is literally the most decorated Marine of the day back in 1935. And he tells the truth about what his job was in the military and how he unconsciously played that job out until he woke up and what's really behind the game of war. The title of his book, you can, if you want to just Google it, 
uh, you'll find it online. There are several sites that have full unedited copies of it to, uh, that you can read, download free and read. I worked with a client about 30 years ago. She shared with me that she became an activist and advocate for her community's enemy. When her own children were taught one aspect of math in school by removing those people who they were being taught were the enemy. I hope that made sense. I'm not going to explain it, but if it didn't make sense, someone drop me a note and tell me if that fits. I hope that summarized what that uh, situation was. And then I'm going to provide two more scriptural quotes. One, Samuel 15:3. Now go and smite Amalek, and utterly destroy all that they have, and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. Joshua 6.21 says, And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, and ox and sheep and ass, with the edge of the sword. Another version of that passage says, Go in and clean house. Don't leave anything breathing. This is about what Hamas did, right? Don't leave a donkey, a child, a woman, an old man, or an old woman breathing. Wipe out Jericho. Now, these are instructions supposedly given by the Creator. And I put that in a big set of, of quotes. Excuse me, I'm making a note. What is the work required for actual healing? As long as war and traumatic energetic memories exist in the psyche of humans, those dynamics will, when resonating to activity, reflect in the mind as thought disorders. As long as atrocities remain unresolved in the genes, the family systems, and in the teachings, myths, modeling, and stories of the people, generation after generation will live in the desert of unresolved, projected, internal trauma, expressed as destructive behavior. Actually, I'm going to add to that, generation after generation will live and die in the desert of unresolved, projected, internal trauma, expressed as destructive behavior. These painful actions will be repeatedly played out within the family, and or with neighbors, which will appear as enemies, within the unsuspecting, so-inflicted mind. Carl Jung defined these unresolved thought disorders carried by everyone as the shadow. In antiquity, experiencing life through a mind filled with thought disorders was described using many metaphors. Seeing as though through a glass darkly, or being lost in the desert are two of them. In a mind where love is restricted or voided altogether, again, give me a second here, I'm making a note. 
So in a mind where love is restricted or voided altogether by unresolved hostility and fear, aberrant perception governs. In the radically infected mind, we call that person mentally ill. In a less injured mind, we labor ourselves, labor, pardon me, label ourselves and others as angry, depressed, agitated, rageful, violent. In the trauma-informed mind, the shadow colors, defines, and gives meaning to everything perceived, including the self. With sufficient energetic trauma, the experience of itself as it truly is, as love, as worthy, as capable, as acceptable, as honorable, as deserving of approval and being cared for, is obliterated. When a mind constructs its worldview and its experience of self through dynamics rooted in thought disorders, it is self-inflicted pain. Unknowingly, that mind is engaging, as Job said, in a creative act. Young brilliantly outlined both the impact and the solution of succumbing to seeing ourselves and the world through such a mind. Quote, this is directly from the writings of Carl Jung, greater than all physical dangers are the tremendous effects of delusional ideas which are yet denied all reality by our world-blinded consciousness. Until the unconscious becomes conscious, it will direct our lives and we will call it fate. Direct quote from Carl Jung, probably one of the greatest psychiatrists of all time. Enemies do not exist in the actual world. They are a fabrication, a perceptual construct of the projected shadow side of one's own mind. This is why the felt experience of an enemy is so painful. The whole experience is internally generated. One such expression of this dynamic is the parent who attempts to explain away their perverted actions based in unresolved thought disorders, making a note. So let me back up there. So one such expression of this dynamic is the parent who attempts to explain away their perverted actions based in unresolved thought disorders toward a son or daughter. I'm only beating, berating, degrading you because I love you and it hurts me more than it does you for me to do this to you. No, mom, no, dad. You're abusing me because you and I are existing in a desert of unresolved generational family trauma. And I offer it does not hurt you in the least to do this to me. It alleviates and gives events to the unconscious pain you live with every day. 
Rachel Yuda and her colleagues, researchers in the growing field of epigenetics and the intergenerational effects of trauma, have long studied mass trauma survivors and their offspring. Their latest results reveal that the descendants of people who survived the Holocaust have changed physiology and nervous systems, different stress hormone profiles than their peers, perhaps predisposing them to anxiety disorders. And if you want to look that up, uh, you can look it up in Scientific American Magazine, Rachel Yehuda, Y-E-H-U-D-A. Many, if not all, of our wounds and conflicts, and therefore our pain and inclinations toward violent emotions, thoughts, and behaviors are rooted in genetically inherited traumas. That is Jung's Jung's shadow. We start putting the pieces all together, it all just makes so much sense. Once again, many, if not all, of our wounds, conflicts, and therefore our pain and inclinations toward violent emotions, thoughts, and behaviors are rooted in genetically inherited traumas. Jung's shadow. Multi-generational assaults reinforced through unconscious actions generation after generation, stored and projected repeatedly ad nauseum. And that repeated projection is projection on family, friends, enemies, and self. Big wake-up call, and this happens ad nauseum. Each painful event appears to be a distinct and separate event connected by nothing, except that it's happening again. Carl Jung, once again, describing the source of our unconsciously driven behavior and the seemingly avoidable repeating patterns of generational, or pardon me, seemingly unavoidable repeating patterns of generational trauma and conflict, explains why the patterns repeat and the only way true resolution can be resolved, or pardon me, can be achieved. Again, this is a quote directly from Carl Jung. Whatever is rejected from the self through blame in the world, called perception, as an event. So whatever we hide from ourselves is going to show up in our minds as an event. We meet ourselves time and again in a thousand disguises on the path of life, says Jung. Until the unconscious becomes conscious, it will direct our lives and we will call it fate. Everything that irritates us about others can lead to understanding oneself. It is a trick perpetrated by biased, corrupted perceptual constructs in the mind 
that allows us to think that these events are all separate and separated from each other. The connecting link, when the mind allows us a glimpse, is that they're all based on unresolved traumas that, when activated, obscure the subtle, permanently available human experience of ourselves as our true nature, love. When disconnected from our true essence, when vision is blocked by pain, these unresolved but resolvable dynamics express as attack and defense, as long as they remain unconscious in the psyche of the individual or the community. Albert Einstein, back in 1950, opined the resolution of block pain. A human being is a spatially and temporally limited piece of the whole, what we call the universe. He experiences himself and his feelings as separate from the rest, an optical delusion of his consciousness. The quest for liberation from this bondage is the only true religion. Not nurturing, or we could say tolerating the illusion, but only overcoming it gives us the attainable measure of inner peace. And I would add that, thus the release from compulsive violence. Do we want resolution or vengeance? Which is, for the unconscious, referred to as justice. You know, most people cry for justice. What they really mean is, I want vengeance. The 13th century Sufi mystic, Rumi, offers, love is the cure for your pain. Your pain will keep giving birth to more pain until your eyes consistently exhale love as effortlessly as your body yields its scent. Love is the cure. For your pain will keep giving birth to more pain until your eyes consistently exhale love as effortlessly as your body yields its scent. We must put an end to the multi-generational fantasy of victimhood that is our corrupted percep- that our corrupted perception seems to prove is true. We must rethink the lie that somehow being a victim earns us the right to exact vengeance as we block awareness of the damage even thinking about vengeance inflicts on us. Remember, on the worksheet, the last step, I get the original of everything I send to someone else. Someone says to me, well, you know, Michael, You didn't see what they did, but what they did was so terrible, they really deserve my rage. 
And I say, well, actually, I did see what they did, and I agree with you. It was horrific. It was terrible. But the the question isn't, do they deserve your rage? I mean, yeah, somewhere down the line that becomes a question. The real question is, do you deserve your rage? Because to give it to them, you've got to deliver it to your own physiology first. And if you don't deserve it, you don't want to be handing it to anybody else because you get the original, they get the carbon copy. Active present love is the master solvent of trauma. Someone in the community has to get big enough to bring healing to trauma. Somebody within the community has to go beyond these projections. and be able to deliver active present love. Now, whether that's the individual working within self, the individual working within a group, this is something we can do for each other, this is something we can support. Now, most will say, oh, well, just forgive the perpetrators of those events that trigger my hidden PSTD, PTSD. Pardon me. Unfortunately, this means the underlying patterns, often generational, are ignored and left hidden to be activated another day. So I let you off the hook for the terrible thing you've done, you've done that aroused all this pain in me, and if I play the game that forgiveness is about me letting you off the hook, and I do that, and I think I'm finished, then all of the trauma that's held within me that I'm replaying lays in wait to happen again. Please stop listening to that forgiveness advice, letting another off the hook, for it is based in total error. That advice has just got to go from our culture. It's got to stop. We've got to stop forgiving people. Never forgive anyone forever you, for anything. The person telling you that the solution to your repeating pattern is letting others off the hook for what's happening inside of you knows nothing about removing trauma from your genes, from your mind, from your emotions, from your body. A person knows nothing. If someone tells you you need to forgive another or yourself, understand they know nothing about actual forgiveness. Never forgive anyone, yet let it learn to forgive continuously. It sounds like a conflict, but let me explain. When feeling frustrated, angry, annoyed, terrorized, murderous rage, afraid, lonely, aversion, when responding out of your wounds, when blaming others, when blaming self, when you're unable to hold the mind of love present in yourself, or whatever, fill in the blank, if it's unlike love, it is always an opportunity for me to heal the pain constructs of my own mind, body, nervous system. Sadly, 
when I hold unresolved pain or trauma within, it's easy to put the underlying energies of that trauma when triggered into activity in my, of my brain's internally constructed perceptual images of the other. The experience, the pretense that they're the cause of the repeating trauma I'm experiencing is the true definition of projection. When I make pictures of others out of my internally hidden dissociated pain, I believe my mind's lies and I can pretend others are the reason I'm in pain. At that moment, I become a very devout card-carrying member of the one world universal religion of blame. In this way, my mind's trauma or pain-based interpretation of events appears to be the truth which directly leads away from the understanding of what's really going on. It leads away from true healing, again. Have you ever been the object of another's devout belief that you're the problem in their lives? Perhaps it's time to question your own membership in the Church of Blame. And seeing as how we're just about at the three-quarter way, three-quarters of the way through the hour, I'm going to put a hold on this part of the conversation and open the phone lines and see if anyone has a thought. What does that resonate for you? Does that make sense? Is there something about it that doesn't make sense? I'm looking for your feedback. Is there something that could be refined to, you know, any piece of it that clicked for you as, oh, yeah, that's it, but then maybe we could add this. or So I'd love your feedback. And again, if you're listening on one of those stations where we can't see you, our call-in number is 563-999-3581. Push one, let's have a conversation. Bettini, do we have anybody out there in listener land with a thought for us? We do. We do have a hand up. Awesome. And I am going to Let's create go a page on the website for this article. What are you going to call the article so, know, so I know what the title is? I'm not sure yet. I'm actually thinking of integrating it into uh, the new version of why is this happening to me again. I'm not just sure how. Uh, as a... Uh, we'll have to talk about this. We... All righty. Well, I will open the hand up or the microphone up, and it is Susan six one zero. You're on the air. Hi, Michael. Whoa, that's yes, really, lady. really, really good, really good. I wonder if there's any um, any way that you could mention or include or talk about. Did you watch that? I think I sent it to you, a video by um, Bruce Lipton on the programming that young children in the Middle East now are being subjected to as young school children. They're all taught how to use guns in Israel and in, in the Palestinian side. They're all learning how to march and wear their military uniforms. The kids yep. are being trained. So yep. did you happen? did you see that? I have not seen that, but actually the, the the space where I referred to the woman, it was a woman in the Middle East without getting into the politics at all. 
It was a middle in, yeah. a woman in the Middle East who moved to from America to her community, mm-hmm. her her um, racial community in the Middle East, and mm-hmm. she put her children in school in her community there, and her children were taught to subtract by subtracting the enemy, the other you know, yeah. the kids on the other side right. of the line from the world. Mm-hmm. And she became yeah. an activist. Jeannie, do you remember when we met with that woman in Fort Lauderdale and we did some breath work with her? That was just like mind-boggling to think that's what these kids are being taught. Yep. Yeah. And there's a movement in f- afoot to bring guns into the schools in America. You know, arm those mm-hmm. teachers. Yeah, that's what we need, more guns. Well, you know, the gun manufacturers mm-hmm. do really well with this stuff as uh, as um, Eisenhower suggested. Mm-hmm. Now, watch that military-industrial complex. They're tricky bastards, and they will empty your pockets into theirs with a thousand frauds and lies based in keeping people in fear. Mm. <clears throat> well, the paper, back to the paper, it's just really good. I can't think of anything. I'd have to have it in front of me the way I did before, <laughs> but yeah, I'll, I'll I can't think of anything. Great. Yeah, I actually just kind of finished this section of it this morning, and so I will uh, mm-hmm. I will send it to you for uh, for further comments and thoughts. Appreciate I, your I, input. Well, I have a sort of cosmetic. This is going to seem strange, but on the first Facebook post, you interspersed uh, your comments with hearts and things. And there's nothing wrong with hearts and love and all that stuff. But I thought it was a distraction. And partly just that it would take people away from taking what you're saying seriously. You're using these little emojis. and it, Right. I'm, I don't know if that makes sense or whether I'm prejudiced. Okay, I that's might good be. feedback. I received that. I hear you. That's a good thought. Hadn't mm. thought of it that way. I, I had thought of it in terms of, you know, reminding people to hold to the space of love, but yeah, I can see where it would be a distraction from the flow. So I will take that under consideration in advisement. Thank you. Okay. Well, in the ultimate, uh, in the ultimate publication, I didn't picture you would actually do this. I thought this was something you used on Facebook to seem to remind people throughout that you mean well and you're loving and you're friendly. <clears throat> I don't, you don't need to do that. I don't think anybody's going to question what you're saying or think that you're coming from anything but a loving place because you're not taking sides. Bruce Lipton said it beautifully at the beginning of his video. He said, people ask me, well, are you going to back us? Are you going to back or the other guys? And he said, I can't do, I can't do that because the Let's problem... Let's go for truth, folks. Yeah, the problem lies beneath beneath all this. Yeah, the problem is beneath all this, and it's universal and shared. Nobody's a bad guy. We're all in bad trouble. (laughs) That's it. But anyway. It's a great tune out there. Many years ago, you probably remember it. The middle of the line was, there ain't no good guys. There ain't no bad guys. There's only you and me, and we just disagree. And we're coming out of these unresolved generational traumas Mm -hmm. that sooner or later somebody has to grow up 
and address and take care of or our children and their children and their children are going to be experiencing the same thing as with, you know, Abraham and his descendants. And, and this is just an old family feud going on, you know, still going on. And another family wiped out, another family wiped out, another family wiped out. It's insane. It's, yeah, uh, I'm sure all of us are doing a lot of <laughs> wake-up sheets and because it's, very hard to witness without having reactions and then you have to go in there and dig around and say well you know the upset is in me and I'm very poor at doing this I've had a lot of waking times at night just picturing the anguish and unable to imagine what it must be like and it's certainly spilling over into our refugee community where People come in pale and, you know, just struggling to be okay. And they they feel they're safe over here more or less, but we're not really any of us. So good work, really good work. A lot of work went into that. There have been a few hours put into it, yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. and and there will be many more before it's complete, but uh, thinking about where I uh, might, aside from in a book, I uh, might publish it and see what happens. Are you, you said you were thinking of adding it to the latest version of Why Is This Happening to Me Again book, or are you yes. thinking of a separate book? Yeah. Well, no, it's, it's going to be a little different than the original Why Is This Happening to Me Again, but I'm... I've been working on rewriting that to some degree. And so this, I think, would be kind of the theme of it in the early phases of the book, of the newest, latest version of the book. Mm-hmm. Well, the fact that you cite Old Testament stories and that we attribute to God the instructions to wipe out this tribe and that tribe and the other tribe... You can understand why the problem exists because that's their holy scripture. That's just yep. part of the myths it. Myths and stories of the culture keep us entangled in mm-hmm. it. Someday we got to wake up from it. And in the, the yeah. book, The End of Suffering, I paint a picture, talk about um, Abraham. And, uh, mm. you know, he's got his son, he's going out to the to the right. woodshed to kill him. And and the way I portray that there is God wiping his brow when he finally gets Abraham's attention yeah. and is able to explain to Abraham, Abraham, you just listen to your generational mind that I want sacrifice. I don't want yeah. sacrifice. It's not it. I don't want it. And it's like, thank mm-hmm. God I caught you before you killed your kid. I know. And yet we carry. And as I said the other day, go ahead. We carried wanting to sacrifice all the way up to the cross, and we had a we had a wonderful new young rector who was very very up on his scholarship, extremely bright and very loving. He would love this work, as a matter of fact. But somebody asked, "Do you mean to say God set it up that His Son would be sacrificed?" 
having said he doesn't want sacrifice, and somebody else said, I don't think so. I think God used the sacrifice as best God could, but never wanted that to happen. Who knows? You just don't know stuff like that, but it's a good question. I think if we clean out the insanity from our mind based in hostility or fear, and sacrifice is one of the things that's based in hostility or fear, it becomes really clear that the mind of love could never ask for, could never desire, could never want sacrifice. However, when, you know, thousands of years back into ignorance, you know, there was a storm and, you know, the, the barn burned down because it was hit by lightning and they went, oh, God is unhappy with us. We should go sacrifice a cow and then and the next storm comes and, gee, the chicken coop doesn't get burned down, so see, our sacrifice worked. And I, my offering is yeah. that's how that whole baloney, that whole projection from unresolved uh-huh. trauma has become gospel. And Perpetuated. it needs to be thrown out. Mm-hmm. It needs to be thrown out. Mm-hmm. It's insane. And we need to have a standard. Is it is it based in sanity or is it based in insanity? And if it's based mm-hmm. in insanity, it's time to take it out of our minds that that's got anything to do with the Creator. Mm-hmm. Absolutely that's and totally. That's an insane belief. Yeah. Yeah. And I can understand why people who wake up beyond that become atheists because if that's oh yeah. The, the, the thing I'm supposed to pray to, thanks, but I'll make mine vanilla. I can understand how somebody just steps away from it totally. Yeah. And then they become deniers that there's even a creative force in existence, yeah, which, that's is also another, which is another form of insanity. But yeah. uh, you know, it's like we have to clean this thing up. And you know, generations and generations of poverty-stricken minds found, hey, you know, I get people to deliver me a goat and some eggs and a few chickens every week. If I get them together every Sunday or every Saturday and I hellfire and brimstone with them, I get fed. And I've been having trouble feeding myself, so, hey, this hellfire and brimstone thing is a pretty good thing. Mm-hmm. If anybody believes that the creator's got anything to do with hellfire and brimstone, thanks, but make mine vanilla. It's time for us to wake up yeah. into what yeah. this, this actually means. So I'm with you on that, and I just looked up, I'm looking at Israeli-Palestinian conflict, Crossroad for Humanity by Bruce Lipton, he posted it six days ago. Yeah. Is that the one you sent me? Okay, cool. Yeah, I just looked I it up. So. I'll, I'll, I'll give it a listen when we finish. It's amazing. And you know, he and Michael Singer have something in common, which is really sweet. They're both very funny. It's as if they take themselves very lightly. There's a lot of laughter. Even Bruce managed to make it sound as if we have hope. There's hope here. This is encouraging. He managed to look at it that way. It's so good just to hear that hope in, in their way of presenting themselves. But they both seem to take themselves not very seriously. They've got their work there, yes, but they've stepped away in a neat way. I have a friend who's whose favorite quote or, or thought she posits in a space like this is, you know, why do angels fly? Because they take themselves lightly. Yeah, right. 
Well, I had a true. quick question. Go for it. Well, it's it's unrelated, and of course it's related because it's related to the work. <clears throat> the gift of our Michael here is that he is um, showing me a lot of early childhood preconceptions, cultural things, family lore, prejudices. Um, but one of them I'm having the most t- trouble cracking is that he is literally paralyzed by his own sense of being a victim. And when you said that which I feared, Job's thing, that which I feared the most has come upon me, I see my housemate here saying, well, there are so many bad bad people out there and I have to watch out for myself and I can't do this and I can't do that and I can't do the other. And I don't have enough love or latitude in my heart to be able to open myself wide enough to keep active loving space. I'm working on it all the time. Well, I think you have plenty of that. I think you're tricking yourself. Oh, that's a you nice thing to that. say. Plenty of it. What you have an excess of is unresolved trauma that matches his trauma. Well, I was that's talking to Dr. Tim about that because Michael and my little sister are so much alike. And yet my little mm-hmm. sister and I were brought up in the same nest. And I got out by making certain early decisions and finding that certain things worked. And I've said before, I grabbed the good part. And I had a wonderful meeting with my sister yesterday where suddenly I was able, for various reasons, to feel how much I love her. And that hasn't been available my whole life. I have been mad at her for making bad choices and setting herself up as a victim and needing to be taken yeah. care of. Do you hear the denial? And Dear heart, do you hear the denial? <laughs> no, tell me. I've been mad at my sister for blah, blah, blah. Okay. You've never been mad at your sister. You're lying to yourself. Okay. You've just been mad. You've got anger inside mad. of you. Now you can put it, you can put it into your brain's image of your sister or your spouse or, you know, maybe even me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you've never been mad at me or anybody else, and nobody else has ever been mad at anyone. But when we live in denial, remember once again, what's our definition of denial? When I think or speak as of something mm-hmm. outside of me, is a gospel moving okay. inside of me. So I'm so mad at her because she did this. No, you're not. You're mm-hmm. just mad. Okay, I got it. And that inhibits the yeah. presence of love. That's what shuts down the presence of love expressing through you. There's Thank plenty. You. I mean, there's no there's no mm-hmm. such thing as a quantity of love, okay. or a quality of love, or a restriction, or a loss of. There's simply it's blocked, or it's open. The field is open. When we live in denial. When I think or speak as though that out there is the cause of what's blocking the awareness of myself as the presence of love, mm. then I lose that, the essence of myself. And that just reinforces mm. everything painful. It does. I can feel that. Okay. That's good. How many times do we have to hear this? 
77 times 70, maybe? <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Well, good. Coming through on a new level. May it stay in this time. Mm. So holding a space for you and Michael to have a true meeting of the souls where healing happens in both directions and each of you is able to literally tear up your membership card in the One World Religion of Life. Oh, amen. Wouldn't that be something? Yeah. So remember that to say, I've been mad at my sister for doing this, that's a statement right out of the, the Bible of the One World Religion of Blame. Yeah. My yeah. sister does this, and it brings up so much unresolved anger in me, I can hardly think. Ah, now yeah. you're telling yourself the truth. And just open the pathway okay. to own what's moving in you and to forgive it, to remove it. That's how you get mm-hmm. free of it. But you can't ever get free of it if you can't own it. Mm-hmm. So, in each, you know, and we Good. have to give up that card a thousand times, a thousand times. Yeah. Right. Awesome, young lady. Well, the show has announced to me in my ear that it's over. So yeah. I'm going to hold the space. Okay. I will send that to you for refinement and thoughts. And everybody, thanks for joining us. Have the best year yet of your eternal life. It is truly an awesome gift to give the world. Blessings. Appreciate you all.